Good morning. I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able and let's sing together, bring our praise to God this morning in prayer and spoken word and in song. Amen.
soul devotion. My soul devotion, my only focus to worship you. My life surrendered, my heart abandoned for more of you. This will be a new one for us, but I invite you, as you catch on to these words, as you catch on to this melody, let's sing this out. Let's bring this to God. Let's invite the Holy Spirit right into this room this morning. Amen. I'm coming with a heart of a worship. I'm ringing in a brand new song. I'm ready to see the unthinkable. I'm ready for a miracle. Hearts praying for a fresh encounter. Souls living for a living God. I'm ready for a real revival. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. come like the flood, like the fire. Holy Spirit, fall in this place. Fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, come like a flood, like the fire.
Amen. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks today. Give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the people that are gathered here. We give you thanks for all that you have done, all that you are doing right here in these moments, and all that you will do in the days ahead. God, this morning, work in our hearts. Open us to you. That your name would be holy, that we would invite the spirit right into this place, whether we are gathered here in this room whether we are gathered elsewhere in this building, whether we are coming uh, together online or on TV, in whatever way that we connect, Lord, that the Spirit would be that which connects all of us together. Help us to follow you, God. Help us to follow this, the, the idea that Jesus has laid before us to be your people, to be your kingdom, to bring your kingdom come right here. To know that heaven is right here among us, Lord, that you are here in us, that you work through us. God, this morning, bring us together as your people. Lord, we know that we've not always followed your way. We've not always done what you've called us to do. We've sometimes rejected your ideas, your, the things that you plant within us, and God, God, we repent of that sin of turning away from you. God, we confess that we, we've not always been exactly who you've called us each to be. And God, in these moments of silence, we offer our confession to you. And God, it is through your son, Jesus Christ, that we know that we are forgiven. God, bring us together this morning. Bring our hearts together, bring our minds together, bring our prayers together. And especially, Lord, bring our voices together as we praise you, even in these moments where we pray that prayer that you taught us to pray, saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
Friends, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to worship. Welcome to all of you who are worshiping online with us uh, as well. My name is Tony Sundermeyer. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. It's so good to be together on this uh, Lord's Day, whether we're in person or online. And we'd be so encouraged if you let us know of your presence with us by checking in. If you have a hard copy of the bulletin or a digital copy of the bulletin, or you'll see a QR code come on your screen, just take a quick uh, photo of that. 
follow the prompts all the way through. If you've used this before, we, we know uh, your name uh, connected to your number. If you've never used this before, do fill out all those prompts uh, so that we in the future can know who's here with us uh, when you check in. This is just one way that we stay connected uh, and know who's worshiping with us across not just the three in-person hours, but also uh, our live stream online and on demand as well. Again, it's so good to be together. I have a special uh, message for our members, the members of the church. We have our annual congregational meeting uh, today at 12.30 p.m. via Zoom. It will only take place uh, via Zoom. We have some important business uh, to elect uh, those who've been nominated for our session, uh, those who've been nominated for ministry leaders, and those who've been nominated for our nominating committee, as well as receiving financial reports and some updates uh, on our uh, campus master plan and capital campaign. So really important work there. You should have received the credentials via our email blast. Uh, if you're a member of the church, you should have received that those credentials to log in at 1230. If somehow you don't have those credentials, you can email Chris Holmes on page 12. Uh, you can find Chris Holmes' email under Courses and Classes. Dr. Holmes is not only a great scholar, he is our Zoom expert, uh, and he will uh, send out the credentials to you so you can have them and participate in that meeting. There's other opportunities to participate in what God is doing in and through this church. Visit our website, check out pages 13 and 14 in the bulletin, and consider yourself invited to participate indeed in what God is doing in and through this uh, congregation. Uh, it's great to see some children here with us this morning. Uh, Miss Sarah Kate is also here. For any children that would like to depart and participate in godly play, uh, they can head over with uh, Miss Sarah Kate now. And as the children are headed to godly play, I'm going to invite Victoria Jones, who's right here. Victoria is going to read our first text uh, this, this morning from Psalm 33. Thanks, Victoria. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 33, 1 through 11. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to page 480 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteousness. Praise befets the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of, his, is of the steadfast love of the Lord, Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the word world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The, people, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Victoria. Our second text is from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the sixth chapter, verses 7 through 13. 
This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, this text is his teaching on prayer. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I begin this morning, I, I want to say one thing for those who might be tuning in with us uh, for the first time in a long time or with us for the very first time. We've been in a sermon series on the meaning and efficacy of prayer, and we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer line by line and asking three questions of each one of those lines. Where does this line invite us into a deeper intimacy with God? Where does this line invite us into a deeper transparency with God? And where does this line invite us into activity with God? And those three questions have have guided sort of the shape of these sermons uh, throughout this series. Today I'm taking a little bit of a detour. And while I have those questions sort of behind the scenes, we won't look at them explicitly because today we're looking at a part of the prayer that runs really, really deep. That questions throughout the generations have emerged For those who have prayed this prayer, this line of the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our attention and our focus uh, will take us through a theological journey this morning, a conversation about the providence of God, to say something first about the providence of God in order to say something about the will of God. And for that, we need the Spirit's help. And so I'd invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, break open your word afresh to us so that we would be different, that we would be changed, that we would be even more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The number is one in 250 million. One in 250 million. Astrophysicist Ethan Siegel says that the odds for you and me to exist with the exact DNA sequence with which we are encoded is approximately 1 in 250 million. In other words, when your uh, biological parentage got together, there was a 1 in 250 million chance that you would be you. That you would be you. These odds aren't infinitely small, but they are what we might call a long shot. What's more amazing, says Dr. Siegel, is that this needed to happen each time in an unbroken string for millions of generations of our ancestors, going back to well before they were even human beings. 
Other unlikely events needed to occur as well, he says. Life needed to take hold on earth. Earth needed to form as a habitable planet with the right ingredients for life. Out of the ashes of previously dead stars, the laws of physics needed uh, to be such that they permitted life. And the universe itself must must have unfolded in such a way as to make all things possible. One in 250 million with a hard-to-count number of variables to make it even possible. Siegel goes on, he says, the survival of every one of your ancestors until they were old enough to reproduce was necessary. What else was necessary was the finding of a mate to aid in the reproduction process, the creation of this exact planet with the exact extinction history that it's had. The formation of stars and galaxies in the Milky Way to create the environment in which the earth was formed. The creation of the original initial density conditions of the universe that makes it possible for gravity to exist. The realization of the laws of nature that they would be exactly sufficient to create us. That our universe would have come to exist out of the great abyss of nothingness that came before. The Anglican priest and distinguished physicist and uh, Templeton prize winner John Polkinghorne once said that when you realize, when you realize that the laws of nature must be incredibly finely tuned to produce the universe, it plants the idea that the universe did not just happen, but that there must be purpose behind it. That the universe did not just happen, but there must be purpose behind it. Now for the theist, for the one who affirms the existence of of one God, the eternal existence of one God, the one who has been called the immovable mover, the one the scriptures call the Alpha and the Omega, we affirm that this God is the one who sets the laws of nature and the conditions of the universe to be what they are. So what we mean when we say that God is the creator, we're not just saying that God has created the heavens and the earth, but what we're also saying is that God has created the conditions for which the heavens and the earth can exist in the first place. That God has created those conditions. And from a theological perspective, we would say that it's God's providence, that it's God's providence that sustains the natural order and laws of the universe. That God's providence sustains what we know and what we see, what we can measure through science and mathematics. And without the providence of God, friends, without the providence of God, none of this is possible. None of it. In Psalm 33, this uh, text that Victoria read for us this morning, we catch a glimpse of this truth from the pen of the psalmist. They write, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of God's mouth. God gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. God put the 
the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of God. For God spoke and it came to be. God commanded and it stood firm. Think of that. God spoke and it came to be. God commanded and it stood firm. Not based on compulsion or need, but based purely on God's desire to love and freedom. God spoke this order into being. God spoke what is into existence, commanded it to be so, says the psalmist. And the psalmist says it stands firm. It stands firm. And the reason we can measure it through math and through science is because it stands firm. The reason we can observe it is because it stands firm, sustained by the very providence of God. It's important to note and to recognize that this order creates not just the conditions to make life possible, but this order also creates the conditions where death is possible as well. It also creates the conditions where death is possible. Suppose we, we hike uh, to the top of a, of a beautiful mountain and we get to the very top and we look across the valley and we see another range of mountains and we begin to admire its, its beauty and its, and its contours when all of a sudden, as we're observing the mountain, some rocks begin to detach from the face of the mountain and those rocks begin to fall down to the earth and they land at the base of the mountain. In purely scientific terms, what we have observed is something we call erosion. When wind and, and weather and, and rain uh, hit the face of the mountain and the rocks begin uh, to break away and they fall, erosion and gravity, right? Erosion and gravity are part of the natural order. They're part of that which stands firm in the natural order of things, all sustained by God's providence. But suppose, but suppose rather, we, we hike to the top of that very same mountain and we look across the valley and we, and we see uh, that mountain and we admire it for its contours and its beauty and we begin to see rocks break away from the face of the mountain and gravity begins to run its course and draws those rocks to the base, but this time they land on some hikers who are about to begin their journey, killing them instantly. Is it appropriate to then say, well, that must be the will of God. That, that must be the will of God, that, that it was the will of God that they die because of those rocks falling on them. How is it that in the first case, it's a matter of God's providence, and then in the second case, we're prone to say, well, that is God's will. This may be a very tough pill to swallow, but, but for life to be sustained in this universe, death has to be a reality. We observe that. We know that. Not only must death be possible, it must be inevitable. And we can drill down and, and even talk about just what's in, in front of us, that, that, that in the order of the universe, cancer is possible. That in the order of the universe, COVID is possible. 
that in the order of the universe, bodies fail. Brains no longer remember. Hearts stop beating. Lungs stop breathing. Oceans rise and, and fall and rocks fall from mountains and weather comes and natural disasters happen and can snatch up human life in an instant. Life and death are a part of the order. Life and death are part of this order that God has made, has commanded into being. And that which stands firm. Besides the capacity for life and death, God's created order also includes something very important to us. It includes freedom. It includes our free will. The providence of God has created the conditions for us to be free. To have a free will. God's gifted us with the capacity to choose or reject. The capacity to advance or retreat. The capacity to speak or to stay silent. The capacity to act or do nothing. The capacity to believe. The capacity to doubt. And theologically speaking, I think we have free will for at least two reasons. First, it needs to be said that God is totally free. That God is totally free, and we are created in the image of God, and part of the image reflects God's freedom. That God instills in us the capacity to choose, the capacity to make decisions. And second, and second, without freedom, there can be no love. Without freedom, there can be no love. There can be no intimacy. There can be no relationship without freedom. For if I am compelled against my will to be in relationship with you, this is not love. And because the scriptures say that God is both free and that God is love, we see in the image of God, in us, these two characteristics as gifts from God. Our freedom and our freedom to love. Of course, right, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to exercise your freedom to love God, love your neighbor, and to love yourself. That the very best way to be a human is to choose that way. Now, of course, our species has proven that we often miss the mark when it comes to the love of God and love of neighbor and love of self. We misuse our freedom and others misuse their freedom against us. Think in your own mind where you have misused your freedom. Maybe it was in the car ride in an argument you had on the way here. Maybe it was over breakfast this morning. And think about the ways in which others have misused their freedom against you to bring you pain, heartache. My, my father, as many of you know, died of, of, of mesothelioma, a cancer that uh, is caused by asbestos. Uh, it's a lung cancer, and, and, and the companies that manufactured insulation out of asbestos had data and research detailing how harmful it is and was to breathe in the fibers, that asbestos, from that insulation. They had the data. They had the science and the research, and they hid it. They kept it to themselves. They weren't forthright with it, and people died. 
including my own father. They prioritize profit over people. Now, I have long understood, I've long understood my father's death not as the will of God. That my father's death was not the will of God. As if God wanted in that exact moment on July 19th, 1991, that God wanted my father that day to die of cancer. His death instead is not the will of God, but was the will of somebody else. It was free will run amok. It was free will that neglected the love of God and the love of neighbor. The Holocaust was not the will of God, but a result of free will that rejected the love of God and love of a neighbor. The abuse or neglect or betrayal that you have experienced in your life is not the will of God. The cancer you have, the cancer your loved one has died from, is not the will of God. The death by suicide of your friend is not the will of God. The fact that you've miscarried three times is not the will of God. The, the house fire that, that killed your parents is not the will of God. The skiing accident that's left you paralyzed is, is not the will of God. The learning difference that you were born with it was not the will of God. Such things only happen, they are phenomenon that happen because we live in this ordered world that includes the possibility of both life and death, of both joy and pain, all of it existing under the providence of God. And to be human is to be vulnerable to that ordering. It's to be vulnerable to that ordering. And so I want to put it very plainly, as plainly as I can. Everything happens, everything happens under the providence of God. Everything happens under the providence of God. But not everything that happens is the will of God. There is an important distinction. Everything that happens, happens because God has ordered the world to be what it is. But not everything that happens is what God wants. So what is the will of God? What is the will of God? What exactly are we praying for when we pray, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What we're simply asking for, what we are longing for, is for what God wants to be known. For God's desires to be known. For God's longings to be known on earth as they already exist in the heavens. And if we really want to know what God wants, if we really want to know what God desires, I can't offer any other suggestion than this one. To look to Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God wants, if you want to know what God desires, look to Jesus Christ. For in Christ, we see God's desire take on flesh. God wants us. God wants us. God wants you and me. God wants to be in relationship with us. In Christ, we see how God invites human beings 
into that relationship under the providence of God, which stands firm. See, in the incarnation of God, think with me here, in the incarnation of God, God enters our time, God enters our time from the heavens, that which is outside of time and space. God descends in and as Jesus Christ and subjects himself to the providence of God. Think of this. That's what Jesus actually does. He makes himself vulnerable to the order of things to what we know each and every day of our lives. Why does he do that? In part, he does that to show that we're not alone, that he knows exactly what it's like to be human, and then to demonstrate for us how we live under the order, how we live under the providence by aligning our will with the very will of God. Now think of what this means, of what God was willing to do. Think of this. That Christ came into the world and was subject to the same order that makes both life and death possible. Leaves the place where that order is not intact and comes to the place where that order is and subjects himself to that order. He subjects himself to an existence where someone else's free will can get you hurt. And in his case, can get you killed. And that's precisely what happened. That's exactly what happened. You see, this ordering makes the cross possible. But let me say it in the clearest terms I can say. I believe that the cross was not the will of God. I don't believe that the cross was the will of God. That's what God wanted. The cross was the will of the religious leaders and the Roman command of Jesus' day that imposed the cross on him. They wanted the cross, not God. But what God wanted was to redeem their wretched choice. What God wanted was to redeem the brokenness of that choice and all it symbolizes where we so badly misuse our free will. And he does this, God does this to redeem it, to redeem it. Not only does God want to be with us to show us how to fully live under the providence of God, but God also wants to redeem our wretched choices, to redeem the brokenness, to redeem the misdirection, to redeem the pain, and does that by saying it will not have the final word. In the resurrection of Christ, God says, no, this will not be the last word. So I want to close with this. We cannot talk about or begin to talk about the will of God from a Christian perspective without talking about that scene that we see in the scriptures during Holy Week where Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you have been in Gethsemane. Some of you have stood in that garden. I've been there. Uh, And the power of the prayer that I'm about to mention sort of resonates in the foliage and in that space. You remember what Jesus prayed? Take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. On the eve of his betrayal, right before his crucifixion, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Is it possible, is it possible that when Christ prayed that prayer, he wasn't referring to the cup 
as the cross, or he wasn't thinking about the cross when he was referring to the cup. Maybe he was thinking about something else. Perhaps he wasn't asking God to take away the cross. Perhaps he was actually asking God to be released from the providence of God, to be released from the order of the world, to leave the flesh and blood behind, and to return to the safety and security of heaven. Because in this place, Jesus is saying, they want to kill you. And we know exactly that place, don't we? We we hit that place from time to time. Some of us are in that place right now where the order of this life, with its possibility of life and death, with the possibility of free will bringing good into the world or evil into the world, there are times where we just say, I want to leave it all. Leave the flesh and blood behind. And leave it all. But it's God's will for Jesus to say, Because in his stain, redemption is possible. The cross can be redeemed. So to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray for God's redemptive and transforming love and presence to be known in the garden of Gethsemane's of our lives. Those gardens where we're keenly aware of what it means to be subject to God's providence, where life and death is possible, where free will brings goodness and pain, where God's redemption can be made known. To pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to invite God to shape our will to match Christ's will, producing an authentic life of faith, hope, and love, to living that authentic life under the providence of God. And to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray for our redemption. It's to pray for our own redemption because more than anything, God wants to redeem you and redeem me. May we want the very same thing and may we learn how to ask for it. Let us pray. Lord, in the mystery of your providence and in the revelation of your will, in and through Jesus Christ. We ask you to teach us to pray, to give us the words to pray, and to understand what it is that we're praying. That we might see that that life comes even as death comes, that goodness comes and evil comes because of the choices we make as human beings. That all of this is only possible because of the order that you've created. But help us to know that you do not stop there, that you're not some divine watchmaker in the the sky just watching the world turn, but that you choose to enter in. And in that entering, we see your will made known to us, that you want to be in relationship with us, that you call us to follow you. And in that following, we receive our redemption. Lord, some of us, today have have not asked for that redemption have not ever really asked for you to make your will known in our lives and maybe today is the first day that we pray this that your will would in fact be done 
that your redemption through the ministrations of justice and forgiveness and, and mercy and grace would be made known in our lives. We make ourselves vulnerable. Praying that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer and every prayer that we make in your name. Amen. trust God, that we would trust the movements of Jesus Christ, that we would trust the will of the Spirit. I invite you to stand if you're able. We're going to sing together this morning. Even if you're just joining us online, even if you're coming together with this community later on this week, I invite you to sing these words. We invite God to continue to work in and through our lives. Amen. Oh 
the will of God, the desire of God is redemption. We invite that gift into our lives when we turn to Christ and receive the gifts of His grace. Gifts that declare that, that this order of things is not the end of the story. That death is not the end of God's story. May we continue to learn how to follow Him and have the boldness and courage to do so as we all live under the providence of God, seeking to discern God's will for us and for the world. And for that journey, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day ahead. Amen, and go in peace.